This is Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the show. Hey, another active week in real estate, but maybe not the one you think. Uh, numbers are up, but what numbers are those? Got a lot to talk about today. Got some great guests joining us, by the way. Uh, we've got Colin and Justin. You might remember them from some of our previous shows. Uh, these gentlemen are going to be joining us. We're going to talk about all sorts of things when it comes down to decor, staging, and some of the upcoming projects they have. Uh, later in the hour, I've got Professor James McKellar coming in, and uh, we're going to be talking about some of the solutions for what is necessary out in the marketplace. And near the end of the hour, we've got BNN host, reporter Greg Bennell joining me. And uh, fortunately, Greg and I are going to be able to have a chat about what is going on with the win proposals of 16 things into the marketplace. So how about we uh, how about we start off by the newest numbers that have come out through the boards. Taking a look at the numbers this week, they're saying that listings are up. That's right. You know what? We keep hearing about the increase in values, 24% year over year, which is actually sounds a little bit down from the month before sitting over 30%. But the big thing is, are we hitting a true spring market or did the wind catastrophe actually start to affect the market? Now, one of the things that we know is that we went through a Easter weekend and long weekends, typically uh, real estate offices uh, are shut down. In fact, looking at some of the brokerages, I think they were shut down for one or at least two days, which means realtors can't book showings as easily and they can't get offers going. And so it does grind to a bit of a halt when we start going through holiday weekends, does that have an effect on the market and will that keep some properties on the market for a little bit longer? Or are we going to return to a norm? And that norm being the fact that this is the spring. This is where we start seeing inventory come on the market because people are thinking of moving in the summer. Well, taking a look at what some of our experts are telling us out there, CIBC, World Markets Economist, Benjamin Tall, said Toronto is starting to look a little like Vancouver light. House prices in the Toronto area surged in 2016, but now we're starting to see something that a little bit more like Vancouver. So the question is, is the Wynn government's implementation of the foreign buyer tax having that much of an effect? Or are some of the people that are thinking of speculating sitting on the fence and deciding not to? Well, one of the things that we did see in the news this week was the fact that they're saying that there's still a huge demand for condominiums. In fact, they continue to rise. Now, the question though is how many of these people are actually speculators? Because the speculators are the people that we are looking at that perhaps they're selling the paper prior to closing. And these are the people that are use, utilizing the assignment clause in their offer. So they want to reap some profit. Now, a lot of people have kind of given up on the idea of buying a detached home or semi-detached or even a townhome because they've got, gotten so expensive. So what they do is they hop into the brand new builder releases and the builders nowadays are finding that it is selling like hotcakes. Right now, the Ontario marketplace, they're saying, probably had about 5% of all transactions were being done by foreign buyers. But they're saying the condominium market's actually probably closer to 10. And on top of that, they're not sure if some of the funding for a lot of the condominium buyers is actually coming from foreign buyers. So, 
Right now, Toronto's new condo market continues to boom with a record 73% year-over-year sales increase. Now, that's pretty big when you take a look at it. Oh, just about 10,000 units that ended up getting sold. But here's the thing. First and foremost, the builders have to complete them. Second of all, there's not going to be that much more inventory after this. So we had a huge, huge push right the first three months, January, February, March 2017. And now we're going to start seeing inventory drop off. So what are you going to do about it? Well, again, taking a look at the fact that we're, if you drive through your neighborhood, have you noticed that there's more for sale signs going up? And, you know, some of them are saying coming soon. Some of them are saying new on the MLS. Yes, they are selling. But some of the reports are saying, the realtors are saying that the offers are actually coming in conditional and there's not as many multiple offers. So could this actually be the market stabilizing? Well, here's my perspective on it, and I want to tell everybody this, is that I believe that the market was going to start to slow down anyways. We hit such a feverish pace for so long that sooner or later, the wind had to come out of the sails. And I think we were getting there. Just like Vancouver did this time last year, their numbers started to drop in May and June. But their government decided to kick it while it was down and turn around and put in the foreign buyer tax. Now, here we go. We've got the wind government who kind of jumped the gun a little, threw it in, and by the way, decided to spatter the wall with another 15 things. Can't just do one thing. May as well try everything in your arsenal and see if something will stick. Well, did something stick? Well, we'll never know what truly worked if this market decides to stabilize. So are we going to find out in the next three to six months? I think that's what it's going to take. I think it's going to take at least that much time to get this market to tell us what it needs and what it's going to do. Now, when we talk about interest rates, right now we're starting to see a little bit of that decline coming to the spring market. Uh, if any of you tuned in last week, I had Dave Butler from Butler Mortgage on and we were chatting about this and it's something that we see pretty much every single spring. The mortgage companies start getting a little bit more com competitive. When we talk about the five major banks in Canada, they start dropping their rates. You know, it can be 10 basis points, 15 basis points, but it starts to shave off a little bit here and there, and your rates start to get more attractive. Well, this is typical of our spring market, but we haven't had a typical spring market in years. So is this now going to be the new norm? So interest rates come down a little. It, uh, the actual inventory starts to increase and perhaps the multiple offers start to slow down. This would not be a bad thing. And again, I don't want to give credit when credit is not due to a government, but if one of these things ends up cooling the market off a little, this is going to be a positive thing. We were at a rate that we just could not sustain, and it also wasn't very healthy for the market. When people get to the point where, you know, they are bidding just for the sake of bidding, just because they say that they're never going to get a home, then it gets a little bit uh, out of hand. And fortunately, if this does result in the fact that the market starts to soften up a little, and soften doesn't mean that the prices are going to retract, it's the percentage of increase. So whenever we calculate something out, remember, everybody used to talk about an annually increase. Now they talk about a month over month increase as well as the same time last year. So 
What did we look at for May 2016? What will May 2017 look like? If the increase starts to stabilize and we start seeing a 5 to 15% increase year over year, that'd be a really good indicator that the market is starting to stabilize. If we see a continued increase up over 20%, then nothing is working yet. So it may take that three to six months to finally get this whole thing figured out. We'll see. It's going to be interesting over the next little while and definitely tune in here to Simply Real Estate and me, your host, Todd C. Slater, because I am happy to keep you up to date on the numbers and try to make them simple. You know, when we take a look at the spring market, a lot of times people are going to want to get their houses prepared. Now, for the last two years, you basically didn't have to do anything other than you have the deed ready of your property. People would just turn around, put the house on the market and it was gone. Now, of course, we're going to have to be looking at things that you're going to have to do and work a little bit harder to get it sold. So how about the realtors out there? Are they ready to start working? Well, this is one of those things that in a spring market, this is where realtors should be very proactive, getting your house ready, making sure that they do the marketing, making sure everybody's aware of it being for sale. So you know what? If you're going to hire a realtor, make sure you hire a professional. Make sure they're representing your home correctly. Make sure they get it out everywhere so you have the greatest potential of selling it. When markets start to soften up, your home can still sell. There's still lots of people that want to buy, but at the end of the day, for yourselves, you want to make sure that you get the best price. Of course, a lot of things that are going to start changing, conditions. That's right. If you're going to have to have a home inspection, get your home ready. Now, I'm going to bring in a quick guest. His name is Mr. Timothy Brown. He is president of Roy Corporation. And uh, Timothy, welcome to the show. Great to be back with you again, Todd. Listen, it's great to have you here. Um, you know, you were uh, guest hosting uh, a few shows of your own here on News Talk 1010 and, uh, of course, discussing the fact that people can realize um, some, you know, profit from selling their actual companies. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing and what you're up to now? Sure. Well, we're licensed under the Real Estate and Business Brokers Act, Todd. In particular, we work with the business brokerage side of that. So when a business owner is looking at their exit plan, they look to sell to the children, maybe their management team, possibly a competitor. And we help the business owner to, first of all, determine the actual fair market value of the company with a proper appraisal. And secondly, if they are ready to sell, we can help them as a business broker to identify a buyer and get through the process with dignity and profitably. Excellent. So you've got some exciting news for our listeners. Um, I believe you've got an upcoming event next week. Yes, we've acquired a new building where we're expanding our company, uh, 287 Queen Street South and Streetsville. It's a beautiful property. We have an event next Thursday, May 11th, 3 to 7 p.m., and we're inviting business owners, lawyers, accountants, people that have some interest in business exit strategies or what some people call their liquidity event. Uh, Mayor Hazel McCallion will be there joining us as a special guest. She will be signing free copies of her book for business owners who come. Uh, any of your listeners are welcome to attend. It's really an event for business owners or their professional advisors to come and learn what we do. Excellent. And how can uh, somebody get a little bit more information on that? Uh, Roy Corp Brokerage, R-O-I-C-O-R-P Brokerage.com. We have an event section. And again, it's next Thursday, May 11th, 3 to 7 p.m. at 287 Queen Street South in Streetsville. I will be hosting along with Mayor Hazel McCallion. Excellent. Well, you know what? I think our listeners, uh, you know, would be in for a treat if they're in the, uh, you know, mindset that perhaps they're going to sell their businesses. But more importantly, one of the things that they can do, obviously, is be able to get an appraisal on their business so they know where they're standing. So I think it's a, it's a wonderful thing. And uh, Tim, we wish you all the best in your event. 
Thanks so much, Todd. Thank you. Folks, that was Timothy Brown uh, from Roy Corporation. And guess what? When I come back, I've got Colin and Justin joining me. You might recognize the names because you know what? They are definitely leaders in the design and decor industry. Uh, Lots going on with them. We've had them on uh, before here on the show. Always a pleasure. And so uh, when we come back, we've got Colin and Justin uh, joining us. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. And welcome back. So, as I mentioned just before the break, I've got Colin and Justin on the phone. And actually, I've got Justin on the phone because Colin is uh, hes a little busy right now. So, Justin, welcome to the show and welcome back. Oh, listen, thank you very much for having us on. Uh, Colin's in the garden at the moment with our tree surgeon. We've had a couple of trees come down at our cabin, so we're just correcting that. But you have got me, and I am all ears, Todd. Oh, always a pleasure to have you on, honestly. Oh, and, uh, you know, so, Justin, a lot's been going on with you, obviously, since we last spoke last year. Uh, you know, the market, first of all, has been going crazy, as you know. And I'm pretty sure both you and Colin have been exceptionally busy. Can you give us a bit of an update on what's happening? Yeah, I can. Well, you're absolutely right. The the Toronto market, the whole GTA market has gone absolutely haywire. And we've got a kind of a portfolio of rental products. So we've got tenants in places that have done really well with us and have stayed with us. Um, we've just sold one of our cottages up north and we've done really well on that because I think there's a big ripple effect now from the city to other areas where people can invest. And I think cottage country has become one of those big ticket areas. Well, you know, it's interesting because, as you know, I'm also a, a cottage owner and mm-hmm. we've been watching we've been watching on our lakes, you know, in the last little while that, you know, the, the for sale sign's barely up before the sold sign. And, you know, not dissimilar to Toronto. And a lot of people say, wow, can, how can this spread? out to all the markets. But as you mentioned, it seems that uh, recreation vacation properties are, are having the same effect. Oh, absolutely, without a doubt. I was speaking to a realtor yesterday, and he was saying that by the time he's getting a sales sign up, he's already got interest, and oftentimes he's already got conditional offers on everything that's, that's appearing in the market. And I think people are frustrated in the cities that the, the opportunities are perhaps a bit more challenging. So they're looking aggressively to new areas where they can speculate to accumulate. And cottage country, I think, is a great area. It used to be that cottages would take six months to a year or longer to sell. We just sold one of our own properties in four days. We put it on on a Friday, and it was sold by the Tuesday in a competitive situation. Wow. You know, that, I mean, wonderful for you, but, you know, it's tough for, for some people getting into the marketplace. Again, not a lot of inventory out there. And I think that's pretty much the norm right now in Ontario. We're finding in all the marketplaces that it's been a big, big struggle for buyers. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Todd. The, the market generally has grown significantly um, in the last couple of years, and particularly in the last 12 months. I think we've seen is it 27% growth or 25% growth um, in, in a 12-month period in Toronto alone. So, I mean, these are astronomical figures, and they present challenges for anybody who wants to get in. But we know people who are, who are changing their dials and they're heading for Whitby and Oshawa and Pickering and Barrie and other places where they can generate 
um, a good return on investment and then perhaps use that investment to come back into the area of choice later on. And Whitby, Pickering, oh, they're great, they're great towns, you know, grab them while you can before they also become too expensive. <laughs> you know, I, I agree with you 100%. And one of the things I've always, uh, have always said is that I find the brick and mortar out in those marketplaces is worth more than what they, the actual value was. And, you know, we saw that in Hamilton. We saw the huge run-up. And uh-huh. so, every, you know, Hamilton became, you know, the sweetheart of the market for the last few years. But now when you take a look at the East End, you know, again, the prices were so low that the brick and mortar you couldn't even replace for that. So Yeah, yeah. I know. So You're absolutely right. Another area that we're, that we're watching with real interest at the moment is Black Creek. Um, it's only like 10, 15 minutes drive from the centre of Toronto, but the prices that we've seen are significantly lower. Now, the one concern with Black Creek is there aren't perhaps as many stores or restaurants or cafes or amenities, but when investors start to move in, that's when opportunities start to happen. So I think people investing in Black Creek now are going to see a great return over the next few years as new ventures open there and as amenities increase and it becomes a real nice neighbourhood. Well, that, I think that's wonderful advice for our listeners for sure. And, and, and yeah. definitely thanks for, thanks for weighing in on that. Oh, so, my pleasure. So Justin, so can, you know, tell us what you and Colin are up to over the next little while. I know you've got a lot of projects on the go. Maybe you can tell our listeners what's going on. Oh, of course I can. Well, we're always working lots of things. We have a, a home line called CMJ Home in stores like HomeSense and Winners and Marshalls. We're working on a new show in Great Britain at the moment, a new format over there. So we've been going backwards and forwards to Britain for the last few months, every kind of maybe four weeks. And we've just finished third season of Cabin Pressure. And we're now in the market for a new show. So we're kind of casting our net around, trying to create a new concept that will be for our Canadian audiences in the next little while. But I'll tell you, there's a project that we're working on that we'd love to tell you about. It's called Eva's Home for Life. And it's an event that Colin and I hosted last year. And we're hosting it again this year. It's on Wednesday, the 7th of June, 2017. And it runs between 6 o'clock and 10 at the Brickworks in Toronto. And essentially, it's an exciting virtual home with about $300,000 worth of gifted products, which will all be auctioned. Um, it consists of housewares, entertainment, furniture, um, tickets are 100 bucks each, but that includes food and drinks. And all proceeds for Eva's work to provide safe shelter and, I guess, new opportunities and a bright future for homeless and at-risk youth. So that's a great charity. Um, and I'd, I'd really ask that anybody that's listening, if they jump online to eva.ca and then click events, and it'll tell you all about this particularly hardworking charity. We're just so, so passionately excited to be involved with Eva's because we know how difficult it is for kids who get lost in their life and lost in their opportunity and we're the fortunate all of us aren't we that we can that we can help and any chance that we can do we always want to so yeah even home for life aren't we going to come and visit Excellent, excellent. Listen, I, I commend you and, and Colin for doing that. That's, oh, that's a wonderful thing. And, and definitely, you know, to all our listeners, if you're able to attend it. And hopefully we can get uh, you and Colin to come down before, um, you know, before your event and, and join us as well. Um, oh, so okay. you've got a couple other things that are going on, as far as I know. Uh, you're teaming up with Canadian Tire. 
Yeah, we've just finished a great project with Canadian Tire um, to help launch the Premier Paint Range. And the Premier Paint Range is fantastic because it's made in Canada for Canadians. It's tested and market researched in Canada. Um, Many of the the paints within the range take their names from famous Canadian landmarks and cities and towns and destinations. And we just did this amazing project where we took a whole pile of influencers and journalists and bloggers and um, we took them up in a helicopter over a car park in Vaughan, a Canadian tire car park in Vaughan, to look down at what is the world's biggest paint chart. Um, literally, the whole car park was blocked out in different shades, exactly replicating some of those from the Premier Paint Range at Canadian Tire. And it was incredible <laughs> to see paint from that high up, still those colours from hundreds of feet, maybe a thousand feet up in the sky and to look down. I'll tell you what, from now on in, whenever I'm choosing paint colours, that's what I expect. <laughs> I, I don't want to just like a sample book. I want to jump in a chopper and take to the air. There we go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. Your, your, your clients will love that. So, uh, Justin, always a pleasure to talk to you. Oh, um, how, do, uh, how do our listeners get in touch with you and Colin? Um, they can find us on Facebook um, or they can find us on Instagram. It's Instagram forward slash Colin and Justin or on Twitter. Um, we're Twitter forward slash Colin Justin. No, no word and for that one. So Colin Justin on Twitter and Colin and Justin on Instagram. Um, and we love to chat. You know, integration and engagement is something that we pride ourselves on. So when people ask us questions on social media, we're the first to answer. And we do it all ourselves. We don't engage somebody to do it for us. We're chit-chattering away uh, like two scary, crazy Scottish boys. So yeah, join us on social media and let's party. Excellent. Well, listen, Justin, always a pleasure. Look forward to having you in the studio and all the best to Colin. So thanks oh, so much. Cheers. Take care. Bye for now. Okay, oh. thank you. Folks, when we come back, we've got Professor James McKellar joining us. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. And welcome back. Um, you know, it's great having uh, Justin on from Colin and Justin. Always a pleasure. You know, great, great insight on things uh, market. And um, you know what? Definitely. If you're able to uh, support uh, evis.ca, that would be great because, you know, they're doing some fabulous things for the youth, the homeless youth, and uh, definitely something that's coming up. And mark that date on your calendar, June the 7th. And uh, they're throwing a big bash. And I'm pretty sure knowing Colin and Justin, it's going to be amazing. But now joining me as I had... Uh, alluded to earlier is Professor James McKellar. He is director of the Brookfield Center in Real Estate and he is part of the he's associate dean at the Schulich School of Business and welcome professor. Thank you. Uh, thanks so much for joining us today. I don't know if everybody's aware that there is a real estate course at the Schulich uh, School of Business. Well, we've actually been in business for about uh, 20 years. It's a graduate program. It's not so much about how to buy and sell a house. It's really dealing with the business side of real estate, commercial, retail, uh, you know, investment. Uh, and then a few years ago, we expanded it, and we also deal with infrastructure. Because both real estate and infrastructure are the two essential building blocks of our cities. Right. And, you know, it's interesting because you actually, you, you've, you're the only master's program in Canada. 
That's correct. Yep. So can you can you kind of um, I, I expand on that? Because, you know, most people with the understanding of real estate, they always think of the, the original version of it, Aurea, getting your license. What you're offering, obviously, is not just a, it's not a real estate license. It's actually a full education on the understanding of, of real estate. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, one of the things that, uh, that uh, people probably don't recognize, but Toronto is, is really looked upon globally as a real center of development and investment. For example, if you went to New York, the largest office landlord would be a Canadian company. If you went to Boston, the largest asset, uh, landlord office would be a Canadian company. If you looked at investment in, in an infrastructure around the world, four out of the top five are, are Toronto-based organizations, pension funds. So we're really looked upon globally as a real leader in both uh, real estate and infrastructure. And at at that level, these industries are looking for highly skilled individuals. You know, there's firms like Oxford, Cadillac Fairview. uh, We have Canada Pension Plan. We've got Ontario Teachers. So we've got names that crop up continually when you're looking uh, around the world. You know, if you look in England, say, who owns the the, the biggest airports in England, a Canadian company. You know, who owns the biggest development in New York City? A Canadian company. So we're really on the global map. Wow, that's, you know, and, and it's amazing because I don't think all our listeners are aware that, you know, we have such a broad spectrum out in the world market. Now, it was interesting because I came across an article of yours that you had penned in April, and it, it was mentioning five ways governments could take to take the heat off the Toronto housing market. And this was just before the when government implemented um, the changes. And yeah. so... Um, I, I do want to talk to you about the article, but you know, taking a look at the 16 mandates that they were throwing out there, what is your take on, on their approach? I, my take on their approach is that they're probably uh, setting an agenda up that um, would get them reelected. It's politically motivated, I think it's fair to say that, and I don't mean this in a critical way, but they're flying blind because no one really understands what's happening. And they're, they're sort of tinkering at the edges. I think it's good that they said they're going to step in and do some things. So it's, it's put up a cautionary flag. But the dilemma is that what we're facing in Toronto today is the new normal. And I read an article yesterday in The Guardian, Sydney's average house price is the same as ours, and I can list about three or four other cities. Uh, We are going through a, a, a phenomena that we haven't seen before, and that is that the cities are becoming the repository of, or the, the, the favorite place of, of the wealthy, the elite, the well-educated, the highly motivated. Uh, and uh, so the prices we're seeing in Toronto are, are the new is the new norm. The dilemma we have in Toronto is we have this incredible demand. People want to live downtown, be downtown, but they want to be in the older neighborhoods. But the the the, the, the we have a fixed supply. Vancouver is is the same thing. So the majority of of uh, if you go on the CN Tower and look at Toronto. The first thing you say is, oh, my goodness, I didn't realize that, you know, it's such a low-rise city. There are high-rise areas, but so many of us, 
want to live in an old neighborhood. And, you know, we didn't, we built those back in the 1920s and 30s and up through uh, to the Second World War. So incredible demand. And this is happening in L.A. It's happening all over. Uh, this incredible pressure to move back into the city. And, and we hear the term walkable city. That is the most elite term I've ever heard. Because, <laughs> because to be a walkable in a walkable neighborhood, you know, 1.2 is, is not going to get you in there, 1.2 million. These are the wealthy neighborhoods. My basic concern is if, if this is a new normal, how are we going to get the people that we need in the city? I, I, I use the term, you know, tinker, tailor, soldier, sailor. What I'm saying is cities will only work if we begin to house the other people that we need as part of our daily living. And and that's where the government has really fallen down. And yeah. and uh, I think so, I think it's an interesting approach because you know one one of the things that I think a lot of people have not been able to recognize is the fact that we are now a world-class city. We are. And and not only do we And we pay world-class price. Right. And and in 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 some regards we we are still below, you know, places like New York, but yet but yet we still have those people that, you know, there's there's a bit of an entitlement that they want to be there, but yet the dollar, as you mentioned, you, you can't buy something for 1.2 to be able to walk walk the city. So is, is, there, is there a solution here? I think there are, yeah. And, and but, what, what would you suggest? Because, again, I... Well, I, I, I'll, I'll give you one solution, and I, I'm not saying that uh, it's the only way, but in, in Massachusetts... If a municipality does not have a minimum of 10% of its housing in the affordable price range, developers can come in and override local zoning and get a single permit. In other words, what they've done is they've said, let's put carrots and sticks in place to allow people to use the private sector to move into the affordable housing slot. The problem is that our regulatory and our planning system and our political system is basically geared to building expensive housing. So if we if we take a look at it then, um, the fact that the Wynn government decided to put rent control in, that is definitely counterproductive to it's what a you're saying. Su- yeah, it's, to what you're suggesting. Because bad. what what builder wants to turn around now and say be limited to the amount of rent that he can achieve? Well, and I would say to the government, why don't you put uh, price controls on the selling of houses? <laughs> right? I mean, if you're if you're going to sure. if you if you're going to limit thirty-five uh, percent roughly of households' rent, so if you're going to put a limit on rental, why not put a limit on sales price and tell developers they can't li- you know raise their prices? See, it, it's a bad idea. It's been proven over and over again that rent control does not work. I lived in Boston. And it was the most corrupt city on the housing market because it had rent controls in in Cambridge. And everybody paid what they call key money. And that is you paid under the table. It creates a terrible situation when you interfere with the market to that extent. I don't think the Wynn government's going to solve this one uh, during their uh, their tenure here, but um, it's going to be interesting to see what will happen in the near future. Um, Professor uh, McKellar, if uh, McKellar, if it's possible for us to have you come back, uh, maybe in the next few months, maybe we can update what's going on in the market. I would be delighted. I'm I'm going to be watching. Uh, you know, I understand why the Wynn government did what they did. I'm a bit of skeptical as to whether it's going to have much impact.
Yeah, excellent. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show today, sir, and it's been a real pleasure. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. Folks, that was Professor James McKellar, and he is Director of Brookfield Center in Real Estate and Infrastructure at the Schulich School of Business. Hey, listen, coming up after the break, I've got Greg Bennell. He's in the studio with me, and he's from BNN. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. And welcome back. As I said just before the break, my guest in the studio now is Greg Bennell. He is host of House Money, and he is hosting on BNN. And welcome back, Greg. Always great to be here. Love having you on. You know what? You and I have so much fun, and especially when we get baited with so much to talk about. I know. Since the last time we sat down, there's been a lot going on. Wow. You know what? Um, how about we'll, uh, we'll get to... We'll get to home trust in a few minutes because I want you know I definitely want your take on it because you're going to have a you know probably the right take on it. But let's talk about Kathleen Wynn. Her her I call it a 16 gauge. She used as far as the shotgun (laughs) approach. Sprayed those pellets. You got it. Um, You know what? You and I haven't talked since that since she brought that in. What do you think? Uh, It's really interesting that for all the drum beating that her finance minister Charles Sousa did about property scalpers, about the speculators, the home flippers in the end, there's real. I mean, there's 16 things there, but in the end, there's there's two takeaways. It's the fact that they've gone after the foreign buyer. They didn't call it that. It was the non-resident yep. speculative tax. Not doing anything about the domestic speculator, which a lot of economists fear are, are greater force than the foreign ones. And then, of course, the rent controls. So as much as he keeps saying speculators, speculators are the problem here, uh, he sort of stayed away from the domestic ones. And when I talk to economists, including Benjamin Tal, CIBC, he's had this position for a long time. He thinks that domestic speculation domestic invest, investment is a bigger problem. Because if you're a foreign investor, it seems that you put your money in Canada because it's a safe place to put your money. Yeah. Where you're taking your money out of a country where you're afraid it's going to evaporate or disappear somehow sure. and put it in Canadian real estate and then it's sound. And if it goes up, fantastic. But the domestic speculator, they're counting basis points. Am I making uh, money off my investment? They're the ones that people fear that will say, you know, I'm out of this market if things go sour. You know, interesting because uh, in the news this week, um, the new condo sales are up 79% the first quarter of 2017. And where I struggle with that one is that the condo prices have got to that feverish pitch. And you know, now when we talk about investors, and they did they did want to say that most of these people, they call them investors. And I probably put a big X on that one because there's not an investor that should be buying that stuff and putting it into the rental market because it can't carry. Like right now at $500,000 for a one bedroom, you're not carrying that. Even with 25, 30% down, your negative cash flow. So that goes back to our whole speculation, as you were saying. This is your your domestic investor saying, "Hey, listen, you know what? If it goes up a hundred grand, I'll get out. You know, yeah, it's going to cost me twenty to carry it, but that's okay because I'm trying to make some money." Or we've got some of these assignment flippers that are saying, "Hey, listen, if inventory's tight three, four years from now, then we're going to turn around and sell our paper." And that's where. 
I think that the Wynn government did identify, they call them the paper flippers, that there is some of that out there and they want to get CRA involved because CRA actually had a mandate a few years ago that they were going to the builders and finding out what their original agreement of purchase and sale was and then taking a look at the actual land registry titles on the day of closing. And they said, wait wait a minute, there, there, there's a gap here. What's going on? Yeah, that's where the Ontario government was making that fairness claim, right? That if right. you're going to get in there and if you're going to treat it like a business and flip homes like a business, then maybe the CRA. But that, but that, here's the thing, right? And this gets people going crazy in Vancouver as well. There are existing rules that should at least cool off some of this behavior. We know that when you sell a principal residence, uh, you, uh, you're tax exempt in terms of the capital gain. If it's sure. an investment property, then it's a capital gain tax, but that's treated more favorably than business income. Some people are simply saying, if you if the CRA actually took a closer look, found these people who are flipping multiple properties in the, in the course of a year or two, and don't give them the capital gains rate, simply tax it as business income. And that sure. would make some of them go, this isn't as lucrative as it's been before. Yeah, but then again, we have a little bit of a bait and switch going on because there are those people that are turning around buying these condominiums saying, oh, it's going to be my primary residence. Mm -hmm. Then they turn around, they flip it, and then they say, oh, no, I decided not to. Or they'll do, since they don't have an, they'll do an interim occupancy while it's being registered, rent it out, flip it on the end of it prior to taking title, no land registry, but yet they turn around and claim, I lived here. Here, you know, for this short term and decide to sell it. So they are there, there is some shortcomings coming to the government and CRA is going to have to crack down on that, obviously. Well, that's the interesting thing, right? Because the CRA and uh, we just did a whole run of talking tax programs uh, leading up to, of course, the tax deadline and now they're done on BNN. But a lot of people had a lot of questions about real estate and it's just uh, regularly inhabited. It's not even a time frame. You'd say, how long do I have to live in this house for me to claim the principal residence exemption? Sure. There's not a time. The CRA doesn't say it's six months or one month or one yeah. year or two years. It's saying ordinarily inhabited is the language. So you can, that, yeah. that is such a gray area we can get around. <laughs> it is. And, and one of the things that a lot of people do is they just simply change their mailing address. Mm-hmm. They get, they change their license, their driver's license, tell their tenant, just make sure you send me an email that I get. And they claim it as a primary residence. So yeah, you know, it's, it, it's an interesting thing. I think we've got a lot to look at, um, you know, and, and a couple other things and, and I'll have to have you come back up because I mean, we've only got so much time today and I do want to get through it, but you know, some of her other things, you know, obviously rent control, she's going to be killing the apartment industry. They're not going to want to build if the rent control comes back in. What do you think? We're hearing from a lot of people. Uh, Michael Emery at Allied Properties was just on uh, BNN basically saying that they want to build rental apartments, not not condos that get sold and end up being rented out, but just a simple purpose of rental. But if you can't make uh, make a go of it economically, uh, that's what I heard, right? If you're going to bring in rent controls, I heard some people who had been advising the government basically saying, well, if you're going to do this anyway, we don't think you should, but if you're going to do it, at least have like inflation plus one and a half or right. two. Make it lucrative for a developer to build a rental property. But the way they have it set up right now, a lot of these developers developers are saying, this doesn't make sense. We're better off building a condo and yep. just selling it and getting out of the game. Yeah, exactly. And one of the, one of the things that I think a lot of people, you know, 
don't understand is that a lot of these developers, to get them occupied, they actually go lower on their rent numbers. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, so here you are, you're faced with 200 vacant units and they say, okay, if we throw all 200 at market value, it's not going to fill up very fast. You know, we're paying the uh, the piper every single month. So what we're going to do is we're going to give some a prorated rent. But unfortunately, the way the leases work, they can't turn around and sign a lease saying, your first six months is 1,500, your next six months is 3,000 because they can't do the staggered lease. So they do a lease term one year, one year. They turn around, they say it's 1,500. By the way, next year, you got to pay the real rent that we should have. We just gave you an occupancy rent. And this is where I think that, you know, a lot of issues are going to get created. And so this is why a lot of these guys, I think, are going to bail. That's the thing, right? And people will be listening to us right now saying, oh, the poor developers. And no one no one is on <laughs> side saying you should be able to double someone's rent or nope. jack it up 10, 15 percent. Uh, simply just something a little more than inflation that at least sweetens the pot for people. Because we know that in terms of uh, regular home price appreciation, sure. I mean, we're obviously we're not in a regular climate right now. But some people have crunched the numbers and said, you should probably expect 5 to 6 percent. Then you take inflation out of that and maybe you're yeah. in a three to four percent annual gain it's simply sort of like the cost of uh, the investment for, for the builder sure and if one can't get her head around hydro then the, you know unfortunately the developers are still paying a lot of the utilities it's not just individually metered they have common elements and everything else so. that's the thing we're entering it we're, we'll be in an election year next year so sometimes you think that policy doesn't make sense doesn't make sense from a political point of view maybe if you look at it from that prism you say oh sure. we're, we're doing something for renters yeah, but people course. argue in the long run you're going to hurt them because no one's going to build the rental that they need. Yeah, exactly. So, you know what? They're kind of shooting themselves in the foot. All right. Uh, monkey in the room. It's been for the last uh, week or two is uh, Home Trust. You you guys are talking about it, obviously, you know, all day long, almost. Um, can you can you give us kind of an update where, where you see it going? The fascinating thing about this is that everyone we've talked to, and for all we know, is that the quality of the underlying mortgages is sound. The mortgage book looks good, but it's simply a crisis of confidence. The fact that people who are depositing their money in that bank have been taking it out in droves. They had to get that $2 billion uh, line of credit from Hoop, the uh, Ontario Healthcare Workers' Pension Plan. And the uh, when you break it down with all the covenants, you're talking about an effective interest rate of 22.5%. They can't do business no. that way either. So it's incredible. Starting to hear from some uh, brokers now saying that they're, they're a bit wary of taking their business there only simply because they don't know how this is going to run out. So it's all this uncertainty. Uh, but the, the strange thing is, is that it all goes back to those brokers, those 45 or so brokers they had to let go in 2015 because they falsified income statements. As far as we know, those mortgages are still performing. That that issue had sort of been there. Everyone knew yep. about it and they moved past it. But then when the Ontario Securities Commission came forward and said, basically, we have problems with your disclosures around this issue, yep. that's when the real confidence of crisis hit them. And that's unfortunate because, you know, I know from their, their, their book value on their mortgages, they are not over leveraged. In fact, they're in really good position, um, you know, for our, our, our listeners' sake, and I mentioned to you off air, um, I actually, you know, I have some buildings and I have some home trust mortgages on them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, our loan to value, I mean, they put us through the ringer as they they should when, when buying buildings and our loan to value on it, they kept it, you know, well below the standards of what it should be. So it's not, it's not you know, unrealistic of how they've conducted their actual, I think, analysis of the debt. But as you said, all of a sudden now everybody's saying, run for the hills. And unfortunately, I think that when when people, you know, when they say there's smoke, there's fire, but yet the assets are clearly, you know, uh, performing for them. 
Well, that's the thing. And if they actually have to liquidate and sell off those assets, if those assets are sound, as we've been led to believe, there's going to be a lot of people picking up quality parts of their mortgage book, letting it run off and making a lot of money off of that. It's a really uh, strange situation. But in the end, it's just all about confidence, right? If if an institution like Home Capital can't bring in the deposits at a certain level, cost of financing, the loan them out at a higher level, the game is up. Yeah, and that's unfortunate. You know, uh, a good institution. They've been around for a long, long time, and they've actually, you know, taken care of a need in the industry. So, and you wonder about. I mean, they're huge in the alternative lending space. In the in terms of the entire mortgage space in Canada, they're about one and a half percent. But in the alternative yeah. space, they're a big player. They're a bigger so it's player. Definitely a, a big shakeup. People now are worried, of course, and of course the Americans who want to short our housing <laughs> market through the banks are saying, "This is it. This, this is, is what it. tips the market over." I'll only say that capital economics, legendary bears on Canadian real estate, even David Medani there says this home capital situation is not what tips Canadian real estate over. He still thinks it's going to go down, right. but he doesn't think home capital is big enough to make that dent. No, I don't I, I don't think we're there yet. I still think that there's always going to be a supply issue with us. And uh, you know what? It, it'll be interesting. Interest rates are going to stay down for a little while, aren't they? Uh, it doesn't seem like the Bank of Canada has any appetite right now. But the Americans, the Americans look like they're going to hike again in June. So it could pull bond yields up a little bit higher and, uh, and higher rates, on the, rates on the five-year. But at the same time, the rates are at right now are so low. If you go up 40, 50, even 100 basis points, you're still very historically low. Yeah, excellent. Listen, Greg, always a pleasure having you. And thanks so much for joining us this week. Great to be here. And folks, that was Greg Bennell from BNN. And uh, I just want to thank my guests, uh, Colin and Justin. Well, Justin, Colin was out working with the trees. And Professor James McKellar, always a pleasure having the professionals weigh in on the market and what's going on. Anyways, I want to thank my producer, Ian Grant. As usual, he keeps it simple. And I'd like to thank you for tuning in. So that's it for this week's of Simply Real Estate. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater, and I'll talk to you next Saturday at 3 p.m. 